welcome to episode 57 of the Fog Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking like small little British boys all day. Isn't that right, gentlemen? Why well, I was just going to bring up why you sound like Dobby needs to be a free elf right Dobby now. Dobby is a free elf. Harry Potter gave him a sock. I wasn't even thinking of that. I was thinking of the of the people from freaking uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. No, right to say me. No, no, no. That's definitely Dobby. That's definitely Dobby. Welcome to the folk pots, everybody. Uh, the, the folk uh, the folk cast, whatever. Whatever, welcome to this podcast that you listen to sometimes. Thank you very much for listening. We've done this 57 times. I'm just trying to be, just trying to have fun with it, trying to be creative. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I enjoy it. So today we're going to be talking about struggling because that is apparently what's happening to me today because we're going to be talking about struggles in the faith. So this is something that um, I feel like is an important episode to have because it opens up the door, at least to the four, uh, four co-hosts here for us to share things that we've personally like, you know, dealt with in our own path that, you know, it kind of hinders it or something that gets us stuck in our own head. So I really just want to like to discuss things that we've struggled with so that, you know, any of the new practitioners or any of the, you know, practitioners that have been doing this for a while can say, Hey, I'm not alone in feeling this. So that's really what I want to do this podcast episode for. Um, so as of the time this episode came out, I just released uh, my struggles with altar spaces. So if you haven't checked that out already, please check that out. I go into uh, my personal struggles with um, the fact that I really don't use my altar space. And I'm starting to see that I don't really see it as an important part of my practice. I see it more as a place to just store all of my spiritual objects at this point. Um, so maybe we can make that our first topic. Uh, gentlemen, how do you feel about altar spaces? And have you had any struggles with them on your path? Um. I mean, altar spaces as a whole, I mean, I, I kind of see them as a combination of both of those things where it's some of them, depending on how I have it. So essentially I have three main altars that I will actively do things spiritually with. Um, and then I have one that I consider my like overall main altar that I will essentially use as a, a storage point for all of my spiritual and woo-like items um you know that i would either bring to gatherings or if i am going to do something you know it's where i keep like my incense my sage etc stuff like that um for me the biggest struggle with that kind of stuff is just once you get to a certain point you need more space for some of those things especially if it's more along the lines of like the supply aspect of it you know i have way too much sage for one individual uh purely by accident because i apparently don't know how to read uh you know package sizes for things um you know and and you know candles and stuff like that so it, it gets for me it's more of a the, the storage altar I, i'll call it is where i struggle it's just because of space but as far as <clears throat> active spiritual altars not really. I feel like those are kind of things that grow and expand with your practice, depending on how you practice, obviously. I don't think it's something that everybody needs or, you know, uses, but I, I, yeah, that's really all I got on that. I just want to comment. You still have all that sage you accidentally bought. Yes, I do. I do. I still have, I think I've maybe used three or four of those uh, sage bundles out of the uh, 24 of them that I have. Yeah, I remember uh, so. you like, yeah, he showed up yeah. at Texas gathering that this actually, 
since it's coming up on the year of it, he showed up. It was like, I bought all of this stage. Yeah, I tried to pawn it off on everybody, and nobody took any of it. So Nope, nobody took any of it at all. So if you need sage, I got what you need. Shoot, yeah, I need a lot of sage. Yeah, just hit Ian up. Anyone who needs sage, Desert Pagan on Instagram. Uh, but no, I, I find like my altar, it mostly stores the objects that people have given me. I use it sometimes, sometimes I don't. Uh, and it's because I most of the time do my practices and stuff like that in the woods or I'm either working or if I feel the need, I go to my place, the room where I live. Um, I have, like I said, that's the only altar I really have. It holds some of my statues and stuff I've gotten from family members and friends. Uh, but that's, that's pretty much all I use my altar for is the storage for the gifts that the folk gives me. Like altars are a thing that you start out using, like or like new pagans use a lot more than uh, as you progress down the past. Uh, just because I was just sitting here thinking while y'all were talking, I know myself not really giving any offerings on any altars, probably not much at all this year, maybe once or twice, just because like the weather was really bad outside, or I don't know, I just didn't feel like going outside. Most of the time I'll go, I'll travel, I'll go up in the woods, up on the mountains, or something like that. But I was noticing that my wife uh, got into the past, um, if I could write back around March or April. Gathering. Yeah. Yeah. And she uses these things. Like she has two authors, one for Freya and one for her ancestors. And she uses those like at least once or twice a week. And I, I think it's more of a, a, it's a bigger important thing whenever you're starting out. Just like I know myself uh, starting out, I, I felt like I had to have, uh, idols before I could really start connecting with and worshiping gods. Uh, and then I've come to learn since then, like, no, I don't need to. They're nice to have, but you don't have to have them. And mine have pretty much just turned into like this one right here that's always like people are listening to podcasts. You can't see it, but I always sit in front of my Odin altar. It has a lot of all my Odin items on it. This is where I keep all of those. So yeah, something I talked about in the episode, if you haven't checked it out already, uh, talking about my struggles with altar spaces, um, is I, maybe I actually didn't go too in depth on this. This would be a good place to expand on it. I felt bad for not using it for a while because like, uh, like you said, Baker, when I first got into the path, I was using it all the time. Um, you know, at least once a month, I would say, because I would always do like a full moon ritual was kind of my, my go-to thing when I first got into the faith. And then, um, you know, as I did start the wisdom of Odin and things like that, I, I use it fairly often. You can see that in a lot of videos, but I would say in the last year, I have used my altar space once. I mean, sometimes I will leave an offering there as far as like for safe travels for people when we go to gatherings, but as far as like any form of rituals, like, yeah, like one time toss. But I also know there's many people in the faith that use it for their entire practice, um, even, you know, experienced people. And so I found myself, reflecting like you know self-reflecting and thinking maybe i don't use it enough maybe i need to use it more and i think the thing i've always struggled with is we really don't know what personal life practices would have been like in the past and you know really what we're based on almost every bit of our modern day altar practice is starting the 50 years ago and so i just i've, I've struggled with that personally i think like myself i think the only thing i really use my altar for now other than uh storing uh, spiritual items on because I want them to be in a, a like a, a separate or a, a more of a sacred space than just laid on whatever is that I'll go and 
uh, I'll set up, I'll set up my things and I'll do like a meditation in front of them because I do feel like they're like, I, I do enjoy uh, using them for that. But other than meditations, I don't really use them for much. I'd just much rather be out in nature. I think it's, it's a more of a personal taste type of thing. Like maybe when you start off, you'll use your altar space more or less uh, as you, you grow and you experience new things. Uh, Cause like you said, Jacob, the only time I really use my altar, uh, I've, at least in this past year or so, first time be whenever I, I give an offering this Friday before we leave to go to the gathering for safe travels, like you said, that's probably whenever I'll use my altar next. I think a lot of it also has to do with the environment that you live in. Because I know I used mine when I was living in New Mexico quite frequently because, you know, nature-wise wasn't necessarily the best. You know, if I was to do any sort of go out to nature and do an offering, I, it would be almost a two-hour drive. And, you know, yeah, to a degree that makes it you know, worth a lot more to some people. But at the same time, like if I'm on like a very uh, spiritual, uh, you know, drive for say a week or two, I'm not going to want to drive two hours and then two hours back to a location, you know, almost, you know, regularly for like two weeks straight. Because <laughs> that's one, that's just going to be brutal and a lot of gas money and et cetera. Um, so I think for environmentally i think it's it's it has an effect on it now that i'm back here in minnesota i feel like i will have a much better connection to going outside and having a space outside and having my my go-to location where i will do stuff like you know do bigger offerings or you know uh not necessarily focus so much on my at home altar spaces as much in the future. Um, so I definitely think environmentally that kit that has an effect on, on a lot of people's practices, you know, like during the winter, now that that's going to be a legit thing again for me, you know, I'm sure during that time frame, I'll probably end up using that my indoor altars a lot more for actual offerings and things like that, because it gets negative 30 to negative 60 in this area. So a little too cold to be going outside making offerings <laughs> but talk about that connection though yeah northern ancestors there my friend yeah, yeah that's, that's what uh, i was about to say as much as you Scotty's talk about gonna... how much you love the cold there you I go do. buddy i do yeah scotty's gonna man take i spent, me I spent that weekend up there in wisconsin I spent that weekend <laughs> up there in wisconsin charming the plow and it was negative 40 and i was like i want to move up here just so i can have this like i'd have a strong that's connected to my ancestors. A pipeline to the ancestors. Yeah, it's just like, uh. Oh, I mean, you know, I've said it before, you know, I really can't feel connected in the summer. It's just a struggle for me, you know, especially in the Kentucky humidity. Like, mm -hmm. Kentucky humidity is not what I feel connected to the northern gods very well. In. <laughs> no, I have, I have a lot of trouble just like when it goes from like spring to like spring uh, all the way till it's like it starts cooling down, getting ready for fall. Like I have a really hard time connecting to anything. Like that's like that's my like you want to call it seasonal depression or like spiritual droughts are always in that time frame. Because even last year, it was like July was whenever I hit that rut, and that was that's what led me to doing that nine day fast to come out of it and do all my beast stuff. 
So that's actually a good transition. Um, so yeah, this is a good transition over to, you know, more struggles and feeling connected. Cause I know it's something we've all been through is feeling disconnected from the gods. And so what are the kind of the things that you run, like goes through your head in these periods where you don't necessarily feel connected to everything? It's just trying to figure out like what, what you've done wrong. Like what, what's caused the gods not to want to have anything to do with you. Why you can like, why no matter what you try to do, you, like, you can't connect to them. And it's a lot of like self-blaming. And I, th- I don't know if that's just like a personal thing for myself or it's just like what other people do as well. Um, I, I think this is a very generalized thing. Cause that's, that's how I feel too. When I can't connect to Thor or whoever I'm trying to connect with, it, it, you immediately start analyzing yourself and blaming yourself. I agree. I think that's, well, okay. So to kind of counter and, and go off of that, I feel like that is definitely um, a a regular thought process for a lot of people is that when they don't feel connected, they immediately go and blame themselves and, and kind of look back at things that they may have done to potentially, uh, you know, upset the gods or whatever. And now the gods are intentionally putting a block and, and people, you know, get frustrated with that. And going off of the previous episode that we did, um, you know, I feel like that kind of comes into play from coming from a, a Christian background for most people, where if you don't feel, you know, the connection of God or anything like that, that it's you something that you did. did. Yeah, exactly. So it, it goes in, it's I, I just that, that instinctive mindset of, of replacing things. And, you know, we are, we are our own worst enemies. For me, if I, if I'm in a, a state of, um, you know, disconnection or just not really feeling anything instead of, you know, kind of focusing on, okay, maybe I did like, did I do something because I, I didn't really grow up Christian, like most people uh, in the faith have. Um, so I don't really necessarily have that, that, that self-criticism too much. I mean, I still have it. Everybody does. But I don't have it in that way of like, I did something to offend or upset the gods. I feel like if you truly did, you would know. Um, so what I'll what I do in these these uh, lulls or breaks or you know like fits of disconnection is I I focus on something else. I think it's a good time in that period to, you know, do shadow work. You know, if there is something that you think you need to change as a person in general, I think that's a good thing that you could, you know, good time to do stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of us do stuff with crafts. I mean, I do, I have a bajillion different hobbies that I'm into. I use that as a, as a time frame to just like, okay, cool. I have nothing spiritually going on. Let me focus on this. And, you know, who knows something might come to me while I'm doing a craft or, you know, journaling, writing, researching do just learning i use it as a time to kind of just expand my own personal knowledge and then by the time you know i feel that that connection again i might have something new that can help me progress forward i always see these these uh these times of disconnection as a that pause and break before your next like step forward in the faith getting ready to say something similar on that is that um every time that i went through one of these spiritual droughts or disconnections 
I always have a very big or large thing that comes through right after it, like last year with the um, the fast and then going through the uh, the the beast ritual and everything like that, and then uh, this time uh, coming out of it with the uh, with the philgia and everything that we did at the uh, the recent fall gathering. Yeah, I think that's why I think a lot of people need to kind of do their best to to move away from the the I did something to offend or piss the gods off and now they are punishing me by for be causing me to not feel anything i think it instead it should be looked at as a way of uh a period of rest for you to prepare yourself for your next big step forward in your own practice i think is a better way that people should start looking at it um i feel like the uh whenever you have these and i guess this is i guess it's just rewording i guess a different way from what you were you were putting it in it's like uh, I feel like whenever these happen, it's like getting you to try to really dig in and try to focus on what has uh, like what's happened or what you can do better to uh, regain the connection and like regain the attention of the gods. Because I know that's like I know that's one thing of it is like, wow, you know, why you're not being acknowledged by them or whatever like that. Uh, and that might not be the best word choice for it. Um, but I like getting you to work harder and try different things that allows you to be able to do these bigger spiritual moments that you didn't think or know were possible. I think with me, yeah. the moment I started moving down a more seasonal route where I started living in accordance with the seasons and the gatherings as well um, is when I stopped having these fears because I find that, you know, everything just moves with the seasonal cycles and that's where, you know, these natural deities really came from um, was from these agro, you know, agriculture based societies that, you know, developed gods around them. Um, and around the natural things that affected their lives on a daily basis and to explain when things happened and went wrong. And so that happens in our lives now, even though we live in our air conditioned prisons, um, looking at our square little magic boxes, at the end of the day, we're still living our life in accordance to the seasonal cycles in some way. And I think that's one of the things that calls people back to this faith. And so I've learned now that I do most of my religious activities at the gatherings or in and around the seasonal changes, if I'm not actively going to a gathering at that time. Um, which is something if you're, you know, if you're just a solo practitioner, I would recommend is look towards the solstices and the equinoxes and plan to have something big that time, you know, hopefully with a friend and family um, or just by yourself. And I think you'd be surprised as if you just had those milestones, I think that is more than enough, you know, spirituality, more than enough religion. Um, we definitely don't need church every Sunday, you know, as a pagan. And I think a lot of us, again, are looking for that replacement. You know, we're, we're raised knowing that church is every Sunday. So what do we do every Sunday as a, as a pagan? And there's really not anything, you know, it, it's a natural ebb and flow. Sometimes, you know, things that come to you and it'll happen when they happen and other time, you know, and then I think we can kind of take those seasonal cycles as, uh, you know, the veil is thinning during those times of years, especially around fall is you can really feel the thinning of the veil. Um, or, you know, at least attuned to what's happening in the natural world. And yeah, I mean, I feel like every, ever since I started living my life more in accordance to the seasonal cycles and less into, you know, what's going to happen today, what's going to happen tomorrow, you know, I find myself to be much more satisfied with the faith in general. Yeah, I think just because we're, you know, overall general topic of like struggles, you kind of, you talk about the solo practitioner thing, that was a huge thing for me because I spent primarily the majority of my practice as a solo practitioner. Um, I mean, I've talked to you about this, Jacob, it's kind of like, the, you know, the whole, you know, purpose, or like, at least I want to say the purpose, but the biggest reason why I ended up joining the Discord community um, 
you know, even though it had been around for like four months and I knew somebody that was in it basically right when it started was because that person nagged me for that four months straight. And it, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people as solo practitioners struggle with altogether is that uh, taking that, that step out of your comfort zone and joining a community, you know, because a lot of people have had negative experiences with it. And a lot of, I think a lot of people that are so set in that solo practitioner way, it's hard to break out of that habit because we are creatures of habit. Um, you know, some people it's a little bit easier than others, but yeah. You know, it took four months of nagging to get me to really step out of that comfort zone. So that's just kind of something just overall struggle-wise that I've had with with the with my personal practice. Um, I think a lot of people probably potentially have. Well, I mean, uh, the whole idea of solo practitioners as far as religion in general, I would argue is a very modern thing I mean, you know obviously you had outliers throughout history but as far as like it being a large a very fairly large majority of it um is very modern to me because you know if you look back in the past of really all religion it's always been a community-based thing and it wasn't until the you know the development of you know major cities and urban culture that we started seeing the, the family unit start breaking down the you know it started at the biggest end it started with community the community unit broke down then the family unit broke down and now we live in a culture where it's you know i think it's like 50 percent of children nowadays ra are raised without a parent and that was entirely unheard of you know it, again an outlier 150 years ago and i think it would be the same for uh, religion as well yeah, I can, I can, I can definitely understand that and agree with that. Um, you know, and at the same time, I, I mean, I, I say solo. I'm to a degree there was, you know, a few people, but yeah, it was, yeah, not a community of, you know, what six hundred people and out in the Discord or whatever, and then doing gatherings and stuff like that, like small bloats, yes, but like large group gatherings. Yeah, the fall gathering was, the first fall gathering was definitely my first big massive community. You know. Oh shit! Uh, yeah, you're been going to uh, the Yule gathering in Ohio. Where we're going to have potentially 64 people. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's see, that's going to be a huge. Even that's going to be a huge thing because most of them have been, you know, upwards of to you know, 12 to 30 at most. So, oh if boy, we can get, if we can get 64, it'll be the biggest gathering we've ever had. <laughs> I still think you're insane. If, if if we get over 50, it'll be the biggest gathering we've had. 53 was like, the biggest what? we've had. Yeah, you're insane. Yeah, it's just yeah. A small army at that point. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, we've talked about this before, but yeah, I think the plan right now is we're getting two individual lodges, both with yeah, thirty. We're gonna, we're gonna, oh yeah, we're gonna have this sixty some odd people gathering, and then we're gonna be like, okay, only like fifteen people. Well, that's how we were last year we too. Deal with it's as much as we can deal with now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sure I'm gonna like right now. I'm optimistic because I need to be, but I'm sure by the end I'm like never again until next year. <laughs> No. Do but, it again. Do it bigger. hundred people. <laughs> yeah, but no, y'all uh, <laughs> are right as far as like the solo practitioner thing, because this is coming up this weekend when you're hearing this. I'll be at the Texas Gather. This will be the first gathering I went to since last year. And I, as far as like my practices and stuff have been going, it's only been as I felt needed to or called to. Like I just go with my instincts is kind of what I've been doing. So what are other things you guys have found that you struggle with in the faith? I mean, I think a big one that all of us can agree upon is uh, like books, research, material, you know, that's, it's, it's, 
few and far in between on on things that you know the legitimacy could be questionable the the uh you know the personal influences from you know at the uh, given the time period etc you know it's a lot that we kind of have to like pick through and obviously take what we think is usable information or knowledge um, that works for us and our personal and our, and our practice that it can be, it can be a struggle. It can be a lot. It can be a pain in the ass, quite frankly, that it's, it's one of those things that, you know, somebody could ask, Hey, where can I find a book on this? Like I get this question a lot. Like, is there any material on hell specifically? No, there's really not, you know, it, it it's, we have a few of our stories in, you know, the mythos and stuff in the Hav Mall and, and et cetera. But like, that's it. They're more like mentionings. There's not like a set thing for her. There's no set solid book that has been written, you know, specifically about her, you know, and it's like that for the majority of the gods. Um, and I say the majority, I mainly mean almost all of them. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I would say that's the biggest struggle that I think every Norse pagan kind of deals with, or honestly, any pagan in general. Are you on the, that's part of like the biggest struggle. I feel like we, like we just pay uh, people practicing Norse paganism today is probably like the modern mindset and kind of how like the, I don't know, I guess kind of like how the community has like developed in a way just because of like, it's like, the way that people have dealt with as far as like gatekeeping things like that people try to uh bar people off from being able to get access to information and then once it wants you to only think one certain way and have all the dogma and, uh what's the other word i'm thinking of all right brain no work <laughs> <Big fire. laughs> <Deep> uh, <laughs> i do <laughs> Um, but I would, I would almost, I would argue that like, it's the, mo like, I feel like the modern mindset as far as like people, like, uh, like, I know like internal doubting as far as like whenever you're first trying to understand if you're feel, if you're actually being told something or if you're just making something up in your head because it's something that you want. Right. You know, that, like I know myself, that was the biggest thing for me to get over when I first started uh, going down the path. But well, I, I, th I do. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I do gonna... agree with the, with the research thing. No, I was going to say, like, uh, I think one of the things that we're struggling with now, with now is it is a great benefit that more people can write books. And I want people to write more, write book, uh, more books, but people aren't being honest. What is just their own thought and their own opinion and that they're stating as fact. And it's like, I, I don't mind hearing other people's opinions. I just don't like things being stated or facts. And I don't like cherry picked information to build a narrative that doesn't actually exist. And I, I think we're starting to see that a lot in a lot of aspects of society, in particular Norse paganism, um, is there's a lot of reaching going on for stuff that, you know, you're like, mm, you know, I'm still kind of on the edge with like, like, like Fenrir worship. You know, people were really trying to make Fenrir worship or cert worship a thing. And it's like, you're really reaching. And like the way they're grasping at straws to make it seem okay, I'm like, like okay but you know you're really trying to make this seem okay <laughs> i'm just over here smiling like a schoolgirl now we've already had our fin rear episode <laughs> <laughs> don't get me going again oh jeez. yeah i i agree i think there's i mean i've kind of brought this up a few times on a few previous episodes 
kind of touching on the the lack of of honesty with individuals with books you know stating what is their personal opinion and personal practice and experience and and what we know or what is the baseline information that we know that they are putting out there which is again why I like Freya Oswin as an author because she is very clear cut of this is this is the information that we know of and that she has either a discussed or done research with various other people and then she'll go into this is my personal experience my personal practice with said thing and you know I feel like a lot more authors need to step into that mindset and not you know just kind of bumble their way through and just be like oh yes this is how it is Ooh. yeah <laughs> this episode's gonna be a bitch to edit <laughs> damn little kid just ran like in the neighbor's yard oh yeah so i, I think a really like the last thing you said <laughs> So uh, I think a really good book to reference here, because I'm doing a review on it right now, is Heathenry in the Sea, which I absolutely love this book. I really do. And um, I really do think a lot of people should read it because it, it's a great research book on the various ocean deities and just how uh, like Viking age, you know, heathens would have reacted to the ocean and how we should see the ocean now. And I think it's a really good perspective of a book. Um, there's a section on that book written from someone else who's not the main author and it's someone from Iceland. It's a woman from Iceland and she's writing about Icelandic folklore when it comes to the ocean. And it's like, oh, it's all great. And well, it's a great section, but she starts the like the entire thing with like, hello, my name is so-and-so. I'm a descendant of Odin. And yes, Odin was a real person moving on and then just starts talking about like the sea creatures and it's like again the sea creature thing is cool but i'm like so you just made a you know a resounding i'm related to odin himself and yes odin was real and you don't like no no argument no nothing that was her fact <laughs> you know and it's like it's stuff like that i'm like come on like don't do this to us don't make me argue that, um... don't make me argue with you <laughs> been reading that neolithic shamanism book and i cannot remember the woman's name off the top of my head but there's several times throughout the book where she just goes on about yes i am i'm descended from uh from Jotun, and specifically uh i'm trying to think i think it was girder or not girder maybe it was a, another name but it's basically another name that people think is actually um another name for agir hmm. and um specific i think it was also like she made note of the uh the giantess that uh Freyr marries is one that she's descended from and i'm like what the fuck <laughs> you know like why are you just throwing this in here randomly throughout this book <laughs> right well I, I think you know what i've learned uh when it comes to things like this because i mean i've encountered a very strange cast of characters in my time in the the public heathen eye and i mean there's people who think they're legitimately in a you know a married relationship with deities and have sex with them and you know it's like what do you say to those people and because we want to say, you know, yes, practice however you want. And, you know, this is definitely a struggle. I mean, I think this is a struggle is, you know, dealing with other heathens, quite frankly, because it can be quite difficult sometimes. And, you know, when it comes to that, I think the most powerful thing I've learned to say is, I definitely think you believe that. And I'm happy you have found happiness in that belief. But can we go actually talk about the gods and like, you know, give offerings and stuff? Because that's what I, that's what I'm here for. 
I'm here for the, that natural connection. And I think what's happening now is we're, we're having a, a conflict of personal noses. And again, we have, you know, people say UPG and things like that and VPG. And it's like, yeah, we can say it and identify it, but also we need to make sure that we identify when we do have a personal noses, when we have something that it's affected us and that's fine. But I don't think it's fair for any other heathen to argue to others, like you have to believe my personal noses. I accept the fact that you have personal noses. I have personal noses and that's okay. But what we need to come together on and not argue about is, you know, we're here to just honor the gods, honor the, the folk we and the ancestors and the spirits of this land. And if we can stay around that, we can believe whatever we want. But as long as you have that core value system, I think it's perfectly fine. It's just, you know, I can't tell you how many, you know, I just don't even argue with those kinds of people anymore because it, it, it's, it's completely infuriating. Not only that, but you probably get messages from Instagram and everywhere else about it too. Um, as far as like personal beliefs go, you can personally believe anything. It's just what is your core values is what it all boils down to. And the community is really the core of all religions from anywhere in the world, like you were saying earlier. You know, modern society has twisted and turned us into self-individualized people or you know selfies and selfishness and stuff like that comes from or all well, about ourselves so i'll never remember i got into a debate with a satanist once um or no they were luciferian my apologies they're different apparently um so i was arguing with a luciferian and i was asking him why he believed was a luciferian he's like well i really think it betters myself and it becomes i'm, I'm a better version of myself and i've gained so much i've done this i've done this it was all about himself and he's like, why did you become a Norse pagan? I'm like, because I've really loved having a community that I can go to and we share things together. We share drinks, we share stories. And, you know, we've created some really beautiful rituals together. And he was dumbstruck. He didn't know what to say. And I'm like, that right there is the difference. Like, if it is all about you, that's when I begin not trusting you. Because what are you really in this for? If you're in this just for yourself, that is not really the core of what paganism is. It's a community religion. It's a, you know, it's a, it's something that puts other things above yourself so that it can make you better, but it shouldn't just be about you. Yeah. Just to kind of touch on that topic. I mean, look at the stories that we have, you know, regarding the gods. Most of the time when you had an, ind an individual deity try to do something for themselves, it usually backfired in their face. You know, when they came together and did things as a group or a community, they were far more successful. You know, I feel like that's a, a, a solid moral baseline that we as Norse pagans specifically should should kind of just just generalize our, our practice around, you know, not saying again, like, yeah, not saying one one way that somebody practices is, is better or wrong or whatever. But I think, yeah, that overlying uh I don't want to say core values again, because we've said it like five times already, but you know, that, that baseline structure, I think is of, of community and working together is what matters. Um, well, I was going to read this and uh, have them all 47. I used this in a, a video last week uh, at the time of this video. Um, it's have them all 47. It says, I was young once I walked alone and I became lost on my way. I felt like I was rich when I met another traveler, people's joy is in one another. You know, it's like that, that speaks volumes to me. 
you know, because I have never been happier than with other people in this community. You know, I've never felt more connected to gods and more connected to just everything, watching other people have experiences at the same time. And I think that also helps when you're not having experiences, you know, it helps justify the faith in general when, you know, you're at a gathering and you, someone's like, oh my gosh, I just had the craziest tear experience. And it's like, it's really cool to get to see other people have experiences. I'm happy for them. I'm legitimately happy for them. I'm not fake happy for them. And then it, it bolsters my own beliefs because I'm like, wow, they just had a great tear experience. That's wonderful. You know, I wonder if I'll have experiences out here, you know, and then it's not weird when you, you come in and you're like, I just had a Freya experience. And everyone's like, wow, you just had a Freya experience. Like it helps justify everything so much more when you, you have these group experiences. Yeah. I feel like that's why it, it feels for us like so natural, uh, you know, even though a lot of the times at these gatherings, it's with people that we may or may not have met, you know, already, whether it's at previous gatherings or, or whatever. Um, but within, you know, that first night, everybody, it's like, it's like a reunion. That's the best way to describe these gatherings is regardless of if I've met you in person at a previous gathering or not, it always feels more of like a, a family reunion or say reunion. And I've known you for, you know, my entire life kind of a thing. Um, and I, yeah, I feel like that has a huge effect on it. Cause yeah, you have individuals from all walks of life, all you know, time frames of experience that will bounce each other's, you know, experiences off of whether it's at that gathering or previous things. And some people can help explain situations or whatever and share that knowledge. Uh, that definitely has that effect. I mean, you did a, the video that you did about that kind of stuff was a hundred percent, like very accurate. And just, I feel like it was a good, a good thing that people should learn about or like figure out is what is a sign and what is just your everyday nonsense you know what I mean it, it it's even to this day like as a relatively well experienced practitioner I mean I say well experienced loosely because there's obviously people that are you know decades farther ahead than I am but you know I feel like I'm relatively good at, at picking up on what is a sign and what is not and I think that's where a lot of people struggle, especially at the beginning of their practices. Everything's a sign. I, I feel like if, you know, somebody who's new to the faith that came from where I was at in New Mexico and came up here and they saw the amount of like genuine ravens, I'm not even saying crows because those are here too, but the legitimate gigantic ravens that we have in this part of the area or in the world they would lose their minds. They'd be like, oh my God, Odin, Odin's gotta be telling me something. Every day, I see at least one every day and they are massive. I, I know the difference between crows and ravens and they're, they're everywhere here. I see them quite frequently, you know? And, and I feel like that would just be an absolute just brain melt for a new practitioner. They'd be like, holy crap, like Odin is trying to tell me something super important because I'm seeing a raven every single day. You know what I mean? And it like, I hear them in the morning. It's the first thing I hear usually. So it's, it's things like that. I think identifying what is a sign of what is, you know, the everyday mundane nonsense is a huge struggle for just everybody in general, especially newer practitioners. I mean, shoot Baker, you know, we heard Ravens the moment you got to Colorado, you know, like when we went on that, like one mountainside, you're like, there's Ravens here. I'm like, yeah, there's a Ravens here. <laughs> I can't remember if I pointed it out or if uh, maybe it was Cody. Cody, I can, one of us did. I know uh, I pointed out the one whenever we were uh, when we just got the Red Rocks. That was that one that's flying around the top. Of the oh yeah, yeah. Like, mm, 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, and I think this is a good example of signs because I, I, I know there's ravens in Colorado because last time I went there, it blew my mind. I was that that new person that was like, oh my god, there's so many ravens everywhere. That's a sign from Odin the Alphonse, and um, you know, just absolutely lost my mind. But now I expected it. I'm like, oh, it's just because there's a lot of ravens here. You know, it just happens. And so I heard quite a few of them when I was filming my first video out there. But when we went out to uh, go on our hike, like Logan and Mary and I. Um, we ended up stopping at this beautiful overlook, looking over this mountain range, uh, and all the aspen trees were turning yellow. So it literally looked like a river of gold coming off the side of the mountains. It was, it was absolutely amazing to see. And while we were there, there was a raven that was, that flew right towards us and just like flew around us several times, suspicious looking, you know, just the way it was kind of circling around us. And I decided to start recording it because normally ravens don't stick around long enough for me to record them. And then sure enough, it like swooped behind us. And I even said something like, come back. And then all of a sudden it swooped above us. And just right as it got above my head, it let out its call. And then it flew into the horizon line and I got it all in video. And I was like, yep, that was a good one. And like, that's going to be like the, my new intro. I think it's probably in a video by now, but like. Yeah, that's the one you see. You showed yeah. me I got to Colorado. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that to me was different than just like the normal Ravens I was encountering all the time, you know. But I do ultimately think that the, the biggest, one of the biggest struggles truly is the, was that real? Yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the questioning of like an experience that, uh, you know, was it, did that really happen? Or like, did I really see that or hear that, you know, uh, kind of going on a good example would be both of the fall gatherings, <clears throat> uh, the, the gigantic shadow spirit thing that we've seen twice now you know i saw it it's casual yeah it's a casual thing i was just like oh that that's your friend right. yeah basically yeah <laughs> that's dad, like, buddy. you know the the first fall <laughs> gathering we were like oh, like a bunch of us saw it. And we're like you know at first it's like oh did you like i saw this and somebody's like wait i saw that too and we're all like wait you saw it too like i thought i was going crazy and like blah, blah, blah. but then you know this past one we're just like oh you saw it too yeah i saw it as well it's funny huh it came back you know like almost a year later so yeah it, it's funny kind of the the mindset that the, you know that changes over time with certain things like that especially if you see something similar uh to other people multiple times you know uh, i guess um i guess this, I, I guess i'm gonna throw like a little bit of advice in here on this one just in case we have like new people like brand new uh, practitioners, like listen to this is like, whenever you first start to see, or whenever you see something you think is a sign, or you're trying to figure out like if something is real, I've come to figure out that it's like you get this. I know myself, I get like a feeling inside that's kind of like it's a mixture of like cold and like really excited, or sometimes like kind of scared or feel uh, fearful. It's like the only way I can kind of describe it. You feel like there's something like right around like the center of your body, or at least I do, and then that will grow and like go over the body um and that's kind of like when i have it, things like that like when i know that like something's actually there because i'm picking up on like energy or something like that but just a little bit of advice out there for new guys if you feel something like that you, you know maybe add a little bit more you know uh what's the word uh, trust in yourself on things yeah i feel like everybody kind of has that uh uh you know like that them spidey senses when something mm -hmm. is definitely you know more than just whatever for me it's i definitely get that like a tingling sensation on my back and like the back of my neck and if i if i can't not look away from it that's usually when i know that something is 
is up. If it's, you know, if I say, if I see a raven like in the tree that's near the cabin right now and it was just sitting in the tree and if I looked at it, I'm like, oh, cool. And I looked away and went about whatever I was doing is just a raven. But if like I'm sitting there and I'm focused on it and I can't look away from it or I constantly keep looking at it over and over and over again to see if it's still there. And like, if I just get that, I start to get that tingling sensation. I'm like, okay, maybe I should dig a little deeper into this or, or, you know what I mean? It's, it's, everybody has, I feel like their own thing, but yeah, I, I feel like it's that, that trust in yourself of when you know something is truly a sign. I mean, we've talked about it, like, just be honest with yourself. Yeah, I know like early on, like I kept trying to question myself, am I going crazy to think because the way that you would feel or the things you would see or think when it came to certain things happening, because some, something that I like, I remember early on would have like just thoughts come to me whenever I would see things. I'm like, where did that come from? Why is that happening? And just slowly begin to think that you're just going insane. But it's right. <laughs> I think that's, you know, something I hear from a lot of new practitioners, uh, especially their first gatherings, y'all interview them and whatnot. And that usually the first things they say is like, yeah, I thought it was kind of crazy for believing in this, but now I met other people that are crazy. So it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> We can all be crazy together. Right. Yeah. We could all see shadowy yeah. figures in the woods together. It'd be a good time. <laughs> Get grabbed by a hand from the woods and turn you around. Yeah. It's casual. Yeah. <laughs> At this point, for us, we're like, yeah, it's whatever. <laughs> well, it's just like when I first came outside at the Pennsylvania gathering, people were like, there's stuff in the woods. And I was just like, okay. And I just like head in. I'm like, I'm going to go find them. <laughs> yeah. And then there's, yeah, you know, me doing extreme things by just staying out in the woods the entire night. You know? is you know stuff like that like i all, all sorts of things that i saw i'm just like okay cool like i know i'm alone out here right now but yeah whatever and somehow you didn't yeah. get eaten alive by mosquitoes you're so lucky yeah i don't know how that happened because i was kind of like you were in sitting, a bog i was in a bog by an uprooted tree yeah throughout the entire night i think because they constantly would drip like they were eating me every night oh or that yeah you taste better. All over my my legs are still tore up from that. Dude, yeah, I still got like a couple marks on my foot from where they got me, like two it weeks, three weeks ago. It, it depends on your blood type. Really? Mm -hmm. Mosquitoes are drawn to different type of blood. Hmm. Well, they 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 like, I'm oh. extra testy. <laughs> yeah, they ate me alive after that, so I don't know. Maybe it was just. Well, they'll they'll eat anybody, but like scientists did a study and they found like mosquitoes and stuff like that are drawn mostly to like O negative and O positive blood. Interesting. More you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know a lot of weird random facts. Sorry. So on the opposite end of you know, knowing when signs are signed, you know, also knowing when something isn't a sign. You know, it's like when you go into a situation, I think again, this is where I, I, I'm so big on, you know, getting used to just seasonal cycles of just going with the ebb and flow of everyday life, because then you're more open to when things are unnatural, and when things are supernatural at the same time, and when things are just normal everyday things, just like your normal everyday raven. And I think, I mean, no matter what, if you go into every single day looking for a sign, you will never find one, or you will think everything is a sign and you'll be confused. And that is the hardest thing to teach. It's the hardest thing to learn. Um, but it is so incredibly crucial to this path to learning to design to, uh, to, uh, to tell the difference between those two things. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that I've been trying to get used to again here because it is, you know, it's actually the fall style weather here where leaves are changing color and falling again. And I haven't really been exposed to that for almost 10 years now. <clears throat> and around that 
this time of the year, deer are absolutely everywhere. Hawks and eagles and and falcons and, and you know birds of prey are everywhere because you know fields have been harvested and stuff like that. So now they're scrounging. You can see them more because leaves are falling, so the forests aren't as dense. You know, and somebody who isn't necessarily used to that seasonal change, just with natural you know uh, animal migrations and etc they would be losing their minds potentially like oh holy crap i see a ton of deer that could be you know x y and z all these you know falcons and eagles that could be frig freya you know whatever uh even some owls you know that i i've seen randomly you know just the other day i saw a really rusty red hawk fly by the by the leg and i was just like hmm. it's probably looking for rodents and stuff because everything's exposed in the field so like that otter though the otter was a different story that was different that was weird so yeah it's like that's the thing if i you know i'm i'm out there actively doing and and offering or you know reaching out with and trying to connect with odin and it's pitch black on a full moon and i open my eyes and look at you know near the shoreline and there's an otter just casually swimming by me you know that's a little different you know usually you know you see otters during the day and not necessarily in that shallow of water, especially at night. And it was just, just really, yeah. It's one of those things where I was like, hmm, that's a little different. That stands out a little too much. Doesn't kind of blend with the natural order of things to a degree. Oh, I did remember finally my uh, my comment on research um, is the fact that I wouldn't necessarily call it gatekeeping, but there is an issue where a lot of important texts are not translated to English. And, you know, there's so many that are, you know, in Icelandic or Norwegian or Swedish or German. I mean, I found books in Germany that I couldn't read that were about the Norse gods. And, you know, I had someone translate them a little bit and I learned some new things. And there is a lot of books like that out there where no one's just had the time because we just don't have that many, you know, scholars really ultimately that can translate those kind of things nor want to put the, the effort into doing it. Um, you know, there's some old accounts from like Slavic stuff, you know, there's Slavic stuff that we don't know about because, you know, we just haven't had time to translate it and no one's done it. And so it, it's amazing to think that there's so many things out there that other people might know about this faith that, you know, there's a language barrier truly that took from transferring that knowledge. Um, like uh, something in particular, and this one is more gatekeeping technically. Uh, so like uh, Saxo Grammaticus, uh, the history of the Danes, volume one through nine are easily available. Anyone can pick them up. They're really cheap. But the volumes 10 through 16, I think it is, uh, the last uh, volumes of uh, Saxo Grammaticus, the history of the Danes are nearly impossible to get. Um, they are extremely expensive, usually ranging from five to six hundred dollars. And there's only like one universe. It's like the Oxford University Press prints them out. And they don't print them very often. There's a limited stock and they're extremely expensive for no reason. And it's just because they own the rights to it or something like that. They own the rights to the translation. They just, there's, there's literally a, a paywall among this knowledge. And in, within the, uh, the history of the Danes part two, there is information about a Slavic temple. Like I've been able to find it and it's about, um, oh, I can't remember his name. It's like the four-faced deity in Slavic uh, faith. But they literally have like a description of his temple in that second part of it that if you know it's basically impossible for Vito to get a hold of because it's five hundred dollars and that is not there is many more accounts of that too of, of books you know there's one um it was literally about frere worship it was a book entirely about frere worship um that was like four three uh, four or five thousand dollars or something like that 
and you can't get it anywhere and there's no online PDFs or anything. It's like, oh, well, I would love to spend four or $5,000 on that, but I, I can't, you know, and most people don't have that kind of money to buy that kind of stuff. That, that makes me just wonder what is potentially in private collections, you know, or at that point. What is in the Vatican? Yeah. It, that, Vatican. That, that's the goal is like figure right. out what's in that freaking Vatican. <laughs> that is actually something I talked about with the author of the Heathenry and the Sea book. Like he just brought it up right anyway. He's like, he's like, I wonder what's in the Vatican vault. And I was like, bro, we literally have a thing about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so, so interesting fact about the Vatican vault, there's a, a specific chain of cardinals and priests that only work in the Vatican that have access to parts of the Vatican vault that not even the Pope has access to. Let's go to Rome, boys. I need their names and addresses, please. <laughs> Have a, you, a you literally skills. No, you literally have to be hand selected from one of them when you're an altar boy to uh, protect that. It has to be from Italy. So we need to find we need to find someone in Italy willing to do this for us. We to find an, an Italian pagan that will just sacrifice a portion of the life to figure out this information. Sure, <laughs> if we shave you up, Put we can send out. you over there and make you an altar boy. You know stuff about God. I, I don't know no Latin. That's all on you, my friend. Did you say you had interest in it once? You're like, man, I'm going to learn Latin. Or was that Blade? We'll do Blade. We'll send him there. That was Blade. He was learning it. Blade, Blade's interested in Latin. I'm the one who pointed him to the path of because of, I'm interested in it because of the Romans, not because of. You'll be Catholic going to Church. Rome. The Christianized <laughs> version of Rome. They've still got Colosseum and stuff. Yeah, but not the real gladiator fights anymore. We'll bring it back, little altar boy. <laughs> too old to be an altar boy <laughs> don't believe just because i mean anakin became an altar boy look at him like his balls have dropped too far for it for a, a catholic priest to want to mess with him <laughs> oh gosh let's be honest well on that note we should probably just go ahead and end this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get canceled no no <laughs> Or we're just okay. gonna have a Vatican come after us instead. Right, That's yeah. Like, well, it's like so much about, I've already mentioned like the scholars that own heathenry that they think they own it or whatever. Like I'm yeah. already on the list. Offend them enough to where they bring us there instead. So yeah, I think we're pretty good here. So if you guys have any last minute things, go ahead and read it out. Otherwise, we're going in this episode. We're at 55 minutes. I would say honestly, just uh the sport of advice is everybody struggles. It hits their 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 points of of struggle within this practice, and don't let it get you down or you know steer steer you away from the practice. Because I've seen that a lot, where people will hit that that certain struggles within the faith, and they give up. Basically, don't don't give up on it. You know, and if you want to, by all means, do it. But if it's it's something that you really that you truly feel called to, don't let the the frustration of hitting certain pauses in in connection or practice or you know where you don't have accessible knowledge on something or resources on something to cause you to step away from it i mean struggles are they're a natural part of, of progression in this faith and you know that's what the community is here to help you with it's just you know find you a good group of people and you know they'll help you and support you through it you know, if you have questions or wondering wonderings about this, that, and the other, how you can get reconnected, I mean, just talk to people.
I mean, shoot, we literally just talked about trials of passage last episode. And mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I feel like in, in, in paganism and heathenry, you know, the first time you hit that wall is a trial of passage because you have to figure a way to work around it because the gods aren't here all the time for you. You know, this isn't an omnipresent, you know, gods are always watching you thing. You know, a lot of times you are on your own and, you know, they're there to also observe how you react to those situations. And, you know, if you literally walk away from the faith after the first one, you're literally just proving that you couldn't pass the first trial. It's hard. And if anyone says that it's not hard, they're definitely lying to you because it's just, it goes far beyond just, uh, you know, your own personal gnosis, your own personal thoughts. You know, it, it's just hard to learn more about this faith and find the information that fits right for your practice. Uh, but again, I think that's where it's so important that you find a community of some kind. You know, if you want to practice solo, that's perfectly fine. Uh, trust me, again, we talked about how, you know, talking to other heathens could be really difficult sometimes. So I understand if you want to be a solo practitioner, but it's also a lot easier to go through a lot of the information if you have other people to go through it with you. Um, so whatever, so no matter what, heathen hard i understand i'm there with you and i hope this episode's been able to help you out and understand that we have been through those struggles as well and i wish you all the best in your own personal practice and i wish you all the best in finding a community that works best for you um but if you want to be on the folk podcast and talk about us with your own personal journeys please email us at the at gmail.com or if you have anything you want to discuss with us or just in the sense of you know things you want us to talk about please email us there as well but otherwise i'm going to end this episode before my internet freezes again so thank you very much and until the hall skull, skull.